tonight, Philippians chapter 3, if you would, in the few minutes we have left together here, Philippians chapter 3, thought I would take a little bit of a break tonight from Job, uh, it's just to give us a breather from that, it's been, we've, we've had 40, no, 20, 28 messages in a row out of the book of Job, and so uh, tonight we'll jump into the New Testament, I was in Philippians this week, so a couple of thoughts I want to share with you. Um, Nothing in our life moves without without friction. Anytime you move, anything moves. It's kind of a law of, of, uh, of I don't know what law it's called, but uh, of matter is that if it moves, it's going to create friction. Uh, you know that if you do anything uh, in the to to be successful in your company or in your business, you're going to create some friction in wherever you're at. Now, if we proceed in this journey in our life, uh, now the, the theme of Philippians is joy, and if we uh, go through this journey of joy, there's always going to be something in our path to jeopardize it. Have you ever noticed that when you're on top of the world and seems like you uh, everything's going your way, how quickly that can change and how quickly uh, you can come crashing down from your uh, high point? Well, that's not necessarily an accident. Because there are enemies of our joy. And Paul lists a few of them tonight here in this chapter. And he reminds us that there is someone who wants to circumvent your joy and to steal it from you. And so that you don't have it. He doesn't want us to have joy. Uh, He wants Christians to walk around with their chin dragging on the ground and pouting and complaining and and uh, that just is music to the devil's ears. Well, it's not music to God's ears. He wants us to have joy. Now, I want to. I, I think it'll help us if we look at, uh, if we, if we know what's coming. I guess you can say that'll help us to protect uh, uh, us from that. So, look at Philippians chapter three, verse number one. Finally, my brother, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me, indeed, is not grievous. But for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision, which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and you have no confidence in the flesh. Now look down with me at verse 18. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame who mind earthly things. Father, I pray you'd help us here in the next few minutes. Bless the reading of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. I love the promise in John 10.10, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I like that thought that we are not just, uh, you know, to serve. Sometimes we look at uh, carrying the cross of Jesus and I'm just serving the Lord and and uh, all this misery in our life. No, we are to have life and to have it more abundantly. Here we are dead in our trespasses and sins. God saves us and then gives us life more abundantly. But we better not skip over the first part of that very same verse where it says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. So yes, God is the joy giver, but Satan is the joy killer and the joy robber. He wants to take that away from you. So every day, we have to submit to one or the other. We're going to submit to God and have joy, or we're going to submit or allow Satan to rob it from us. And I want to look at some things tonight that might be a help, and uh, you're just preparing our hearts for that. 
uh, the right way of doing it. But God cannot rule the throne room of our hearts if Satan is dwelling in the attic of our thoughts. All right, We've got to choose who we're going to follow. Remember that Satan is a defeated foe. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He has been defeated. At the cross of Calvary, he was defeated. He will be defeated once and for all, uh, even in, in time to come. But when Satan knocks, uh, just let the Savior answer the door for you. But we're going to look here, starting at verse number 1, at some delayed instruction. The, the word finally here, uh, <laughs> I had to laugh because, uh, have you ever heard preachers that uh, say in conclusion like 25 times? Or they say, and in closing, and uh, then it goes on for another 20 minutes. Uh, this is not what Paul's doing here. He's not saying finally as in, I'm saying this and then I'm done, because he's only halfway through the book. What he's really saying here is he's finally coming to his theme. He's kind of finally coming to the point. It's kind of a setup to all this. And then now he gets to his main point here that he wants to bring out. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now, true happiness Something we're all after, isn't it? Joy in our life. But uh, joy comes through one source. Joy comes from the Lord. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now, happiness can come from all kinds of sources. Happiness can come from different places. But true joy only comes from the Lord. Uh, people find happiness in the bar. They can find happiness in a promotion or in the acquisition of stuff. We can find temporary happiness in all those things. But that's just what it is, temporary happiness. It's momentary exhilaration. And it does not provide lasting joy. Uh, you can't, if you go down that route of happiness, of the route of stuff, getting more and more stuff, you always got to be getting more and more stuff all the time. And it'll never quite completely give you that joy. Nothing will except for the Lord. The true joy that God gives can come to someone who has absolutely nothing. You don't have to have anything to have the joy of the Lord. Uh, Paul says later in his uh, this same epistle in chapter 4, verse 11, uh, he says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content, sitting in jail, when he wrote that. Got nothing. People have forsaken him. He's got... Uh, probably quite literally mice and rats crawling over himself in jail there. Watch talking back to me. Um, and uh, so there he is, and, and he's able to say, I'm content. I'm content with where I am, what I have. That's uh, something that takes learning to do. With Christ, we see that contentment is not, is not found in our situations. It is found in our resources. And our resources are the Lord. Uh, with Christ, we have a resource that is always present no matter what the situation. Romans fourteen seventeen. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Carl Rabiter might not be somebody you know, but by the time I'm done with this story, he's probably somebody you'll want to know. He's a businessman in Austria. He's in the process of selling everything he has and giving away his fortune about to the tune of around $3 million. He has a $1.4 million house. He has planes, a car, a farmhouse, all kinds of furnishings and the art within it. And this is what he said to an uh, interviewer. My idea is to have nothing left, absolutely nothing. Money is counterproductive. It prevents happiness. The tipping point came to him when he's in vacation, on vacation in Hawaii, and he said this again, the biggest shock in my life was realizing how horrible soulless and without feeling the five-star 
lifestyle is. He plans to give it all away and move out into a hut in the woods. Anybody want his phone number? <laughs> I told you you'd probably like to get to know this guy. Uh, if money only brings misery and you want to avoid misery in your life, I'm your pastor. I'll take that pain for you, okay? You can hand it, and it's just because I love you so much and I want to help you. But here's the problem. This is not, uh, just as one of Carl's circumstances did not make him happy, neither will the other one. That's not going to make him happy because circumstances don't make you happy. doesn't matter. Listen, if the five-star lifestyle doesn't make you happy, I guarantee you living in a hut in the woods ain't going to make you happy. All right? Uh, it's not your circumstances. So changing, the, and people do that all the time. Usually they go the other direction, right? They're trying to get that five-star lifestyle. But neither one of them bring happiness. And so it's not, it's the search of itself, in itself often is the misery in trying to find happiness. Uh, it is depending on the situation, not the situation itself that brings misery sometimes. It will not, uh, nothing in your life will bring you happiness and true joy. Uh, I should, should say joy. Sometimes it will bring momentary happiness, but not true joy. Psalm 1611, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is the fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. Then we also see that joy continues in ongoing steadfastness. It only comes from one source, and then it continues in steadfastness. Look at the second part of verse 1. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Now, we uh, have got to guard against sometimes in church. I know I do the same thing. You start to hear a message. How many times do we talk about joy, really? I mean, we just preached about joy a couple of weeks ago. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit on that first series of messages. Uh, we talked about that. We, we have a tendency sometimes to say, well, I've heard this all before, especially Wednesday night crowd. We're probably pretty versed in the Bible. We've read this many times in Philippians. But and, and Paul brings this up. He recognizes he's not giving anything new right here. So he says to write the same things to you. I know you've heard this before, but it's not grievous to me, he said. It is, it is the keeping of old paths that brings blessings. It is putting those well-known truths and instilling them in our life, we don't always have to try to find some new thing. Just use what you know. You know, sometimes uh, we all have our favorites, don't we? We have our favorite foods, our favorite drinks, beverages, and clothes, and favorite stores, all those things. Now, sometimes we'll step out and try something else and, and uh, try something new, but we usually come back to our favorites. For me, restaurant is good old Texas Roadhouse. You just can't beat it. Sometimes I'll cheat, go somewhere else, and I just find myself back at that place. I just like going to that same place. That's a comfortable thing to me. So we get joy and satisfaction out of the true and tested things in life. Amen? I'll give you an example. I knew a family once that had a Jeep, and they sold it, and they got a Toyota. You know what they did? They got rid of that thing, and they went back to a Jeep. Because the true and tested things are real in life. Amen? Alright, that's good. Just had to use you as an illustration there. Alright. But I, uh, it's funny how we never get tired of our favorite hamburger, our old favorite sweatshirt, familiar store. 
But somehow we conclude that the Bible's out of date, doesn't meet our needs anymore. Use it, apply it, you'll find it will. There's value in ongoing, continuous instruction from the Word of God. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 9. Listen to this verse. Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. That sounds like our message series sometimes, doesn't it? You just keep going over the same thing and over the... That's how you teach your kids. You just tell them over and over and over again and maybe the thousandth time it'll stick and the light will go on. They'll actually uh, understand what you're saying. I read up this week a little bit on this subject, familiarity and learning. And uh, I found that new information is easier to learn when composed of familiar elements. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about here. I'm going to give you a series of three letters. Listen carefully. And then uh, I'll have a question after I'm done. Ready? B-I-C-I-A-J-F-K-I-R-S-U and S-A-F. Who can read them all back to me? Okay, let me read you another set. F-B-I-C-I-A-J-F-K-I-R-S and U-S-A. See the difference there? They're familiar with us, especially the IRS to Pastor Forsberg. He's familiar with that too. Um, but uh, we're we familiar with those because they're they're attached, and so we could we could very e- much easier to list those back than we do the ones that are strange to us. So I'm just saying, don't let the familiarity of the Bible become white noise. Let it sink in and change you and build you and grow you. That's what Paul's saying here. Now, enough of that. Let's keep on going here. He says in verse 2, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the conc- concision. The devil has a lot of his favorite weapons in his arsenal. Now, perhaps his favorite one is deception. Deception. We talk about rebellion. And we experience rebellion if we have kids a lot of times. And not only we can't put it off on kids, sometimes we are rebellious as well. But you know what rebellion really is and all it is? Rebellion is believing a lie. That's all rebellion is. Well, you say your teenager rebels and they want to do their own thing. They don't want to do what you tell them to do. They want to do what they want to do. Why is that? Because they believe the lie that they know better than mom and dad. It's a lie, but they believe it. And so they act on it, and it's counted as rebellion. Or they believe the lie, mom and dad don't really care about me. And so it's a lie, but if they believe it, it will be demonstrated or it comes out as rebellion. All rebellion ever is, is believing a lie. So if you have children and you experience times of rebellion, instead of focusing on the rebellion, try to find out what lie they are believing. And then focus on the lie. And attack that lie. Because somewhere behind the rebellion is the lie. That's why Satan loves deception. That's how he got Eve to rebel against God. Hath God said. And then he said that the reason God doesn't want you to eat is because he's trying to hold things back from you. He knows you'll be like God. He don't want you to succeed. He doesn't want good things to happen to you. He wants you to be stuck in this rut that you're in. Lies. But they believed it. When they believed it, they rebelled. That's all rebellion is. And so deception, he loves deception. 2 Corinthians 11.13 For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed in an angel of light. This is our problem when we are, uh, when we 
as far as satanic influence in our life. We, we expect to see a little man in a red pitchfork. That's not how it comes to us though. It looks good when it shows up. Temptation looks great. Things, look, things sound really good because he's an angel of light. Satan talks a good game, but he targets a different goal than we do. And we have to stay on guard. Remember what Satan wants for you? Destruction. Misery. He wants to rob you of your joy. And so if you allow him in a foothold into your life, he'll rob that joy from you. 2 Corinthians 2.11 Lest Satan should get an advantage of us for you are not ignorant of his devices. So let's look at some of these different weapons in his arsenal. Beware, first of all, of inattentiveness. He says, beware of dogs. When I lived in Michigan... We had a German Shepherd. Best dog I ever had. Name was Max. And he lived, usually when we weren't home, he was in the garage. We had a big, giant garage, and so he'd run around in the garage. And one night, one of our deacons, uh, he, he had a job where he often ended up with a lot of scrap wood, and so I had a wood stove, so he would sometimes bring these uh, barrels of wood out for me and uh, to burn in my stove. So he brought one over, I wasn't home, and he said that uh, he, he would just drop it off by the garage, and then it looked like it might rain, so he said, I'm going to put it, he, he thought it'd be nice, he'd move it in the garage so it wouldn't get wet, because it was in a barrel, didn't want a bunch of water down on the bottom there, so he opened the door to my garage, and there stands Max. He's usually as gentle as a kitten, but not today, because my friend was a stranger to him, and so Max stood there and just gave him a nice, long, gr- low, throaty growl. And uh, my friend's name was Dave. He's in, actually in heaven now. Not, not because of Max. Sorry. <laughs> Something else happened later. Okay. But, but, uh, but so, so Max gave him a growl and, and uh, Dave did not close the door or leave. He, uh, he just thought he'd step in and make one more attempt. And so he talks to him. Hey, puppy, how you doing? I'm, I'm, not, I'm here not going to hurt you or whatever. And Max growled a second time. And he still didn't retreat. So he just walks up bites him on the hand. He had to get stitches. He bit him on the hand and then just backed up again and just stood there again and as if to say, did you have enough or do you want more? Because you're not coming into this house. You don't belong here. Uh, felt so bad that I had a deacon biting dog. Isn't that terrible? It's an awful thing. Um, but uh, uh, that's, that, that was the, the case. And, and uh, it's interesting though for dogs. A dog is most dangerous when you're surprised by him. Um, when you're aware of his presence, sometimes that helps. Ever wondered how the, the disciples could forsake Jesus at the time that he needed them absolutely the most? It was the Garden of Gethsemane. He asked them to pray. Um, Judas and his people were already coming to arrest Jesus. And uh, how, at the Lord's greatest hour of need, how could these men that had been with him for three years run? at the moment of his betrayal. Remember that? They all ran later, uh, just a few minutes after that. Uh, I believe it goes back to they allow themselves to become inattentive. Because what did Jesus say? Watch and pray, he said. And then they went to sleep. He wakes them up. Watch and pray. This is important, he said. And then they went to sleep again. And then he let them sleep. And then he gets arrested. And then they all flee. Uh, the Matthew 26, 37 the Bible says, Jesus began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then he said unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. He pleaded with them to watch and to pray, but they were inattentive. And they 
fell asleep. Is it any wonder then that later in that same chapter we read these sad words, then all the disciples forsook him and fled. No doubt to a man, they all thought like Peter that they certainly would not ever run. Peter said that to Jesus several times. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. We better not be inattentive. We better not ever get to the point where we think that we're above failure or that we have conquered this giant in our life and will never be bothered with it again. But take heed lest you fall. And attrition in the Lord's work always follows a lack of attention to the Lord's work. And so we need to be careful that we aren't inattentive. That's why the Bible says be sober, be vigilant, keep watching, be careful because your adversary walketh around seeking whom he may devour. You know one of the things you devour first in your life is your joy. He wants to take that away from you. Secondly, beware of infiltration. He says, beware of evil workers. God warns us here of an inside job. On one hand, he talks about Satan being a roaring lion to describe how Satan operates. But in Matthew 7.15, he points out another animal. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Here's another one of Satan's deceptive ploys. Again, he's a deceiver. Of course, we're not going to let a wolf come into the sheep, right? Every time I get off the uh, exit down here, I always see those sheep there in that field. I like seeing a field of sheep. I especially like seeing a field of sheep I don't have to take care of. That's that's the best part about seeing somebody else's sheep. But uh, we we wouldn't let a wolf in among the sheep if if he looked like a wolf, would we? But no, this is uh, if he looks like a sheep, then we can be fooled sometimes. Maybe we won't notice. You know what I noticed as a pastor in, in a church is that church dissenters never come up and introduce you, hi, I'm such and such, I'm a wolf. <laughs> they don't do that. They come as sheep. They come uh, with uh, sheep's clothing and they, they slither into different places and then they cause their destruction from the inside. And uh, that's what Satan does. Uh, inwardly, he says, they're ravening wolves. We need to be careful. This is another reason we need to be attentive and awake to it. Hey, you know what's going to happen to your children if you don't watch who their friends are, where they're going, what they're watching, and what they're doing? You're going to end up getting surprised because there's going to be a wolf that's going to come in dressed as a sheep. They won't recognize it. That's what you are, Dad, Mom. You're wolf hunters. All right. That's what pastors are too, wolf hunters. And we need to always be on the lookout for that. Paul faced this in Galatians 2.4. And because of false brethren unawares brought in, uh, false people unaware came into the church. Every once in a while, uh, we can uh, see a wolf and uh, trying to steal sheep, whether it's in our families or our churches or wherever it is. We need to be careful, ever so careful to keep our hearts in tune with the Lord and with one another. So beware of infiltration. Then we'll just end with this one real quick. Beware of indoctrination. He says next here, beware of the concision. I like, he's referring to circumcision. He goes on to talk about it the rest of the chapter. I think it's interesting that he just calls it concision here. Because what concision is, is a cutting, a mutilation of the flesh. He doesn't call it circumcision because he's not even honoring it anymore as a religious rite. Because that has gone away. 
with the gospel. Okay, now he's just calling, uh, calling it a mutilation. That's kind of a slap in the face of the Judaizers who think circumcision still ought to be a real thing in the, at this point. And so he realizes circumcision has nothing to do with justification anymore. All right. So Christians have only one true circumcision, that is of the heart. He talks about that elsewhere. Legalists have only concision, which is cutting off the flesh. Now, in Acts 15.1, and certain men came down from Judea, taught the brothers, saying that except you be circumcised after the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, that's not true. And it wasn't true then, and it isn't true now. But that's what they said, trying to bring this falsehood into the church. Now, Paul, as we know, was very jealous of the gospel. Uh, he said in Galatians 1.6, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of God into another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you, you would pervert the gospel of Christ. So when something does not line up with the word of God, we need to be very careful. Amen? We need to be careful uh, of indoctrination, of wrong beliefs. That's why uh, the Bible is, is instructive of us to continually learn to be uh, under sound teaching and sound doctrine so that we don't get pulled out of every, the, the wording it uses in the Bible, pulled every wind of doctrine. A lot of people are like that. Everything that comes along their way, everything that comes on the TV, they're buying into it hook, line, and sinker. Uh, the Bible will keep you grounded in there. Three times in the New Testament, God proclaims this simple warning, be not deceived. Why would he say that three times? Because we can be deceived pretty easily. We can be deceived. You can recover from being deceived by a used car salesman or a telemarketer or an infomercial. <laughs> we are all been deceived by those things, haven't we? You can recover from that, but you can't afford to be, uh, to be uh, tricked when it comes to spiritual truth. That can last into eternity. The payments on Satan's scams can not only last your whole life here on earth, but your whole life into eternity as well. So, Let's be careful of our joy. Paul's talking here about enemies. Enemies that'll creep in. They'll creep into your life. They'll creep into your family. They'll creep into our church if we're not careful. And so we've got to always keep a lookout. That's why several times in the Bible it tells us to be awake. Awake. Uh, be vigilant. Be sober. Be not deceived. We need to be on watch all the time. Because there, uh, Satan would like nothing better then destroy this church. He would like nothing better than to destroy your family. He'd like nothing better than to take you down. And so we need to be careful of our enemy. Amen? That'll help. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for giving us your joy. I pray that we would not be distracted from it, but that we would be constantly uh, in tune with you so that we can have that joy that can't be touched by Satan himself. And I just pray you'd help us to have our priorities right throughout the rest of this week. Help us to make an impact those around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.